Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, welcome to Game Master Studio, where we talk about tabletop role-playing games and tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your own game to the next level. Today, we're going to be continuing our series on the how-to running certain games. Today, talking about the wonderfully fun realm of how to run a horror game. Before we get started, my name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, your host and moderator for today. With me in the studio is Jared proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional DM, and Ed. Hey guys, uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, why are we doing this in the dark? Oh, good. It'll all work out for the best. Let's split up to cover more ground. So we are talking how-to horror today. Um, this is one that we've had on our plates for a while. We've been looking at it, but we felt there was a lot of prep to go into this. Uh, we didn't want to just improv it all the way like we often do. So improv versus prep coming into play there. Um, speaking of earlier episodes, some of the ones that we needed to get through before we could do how-to horror included ambience and immersion, props, uh, splitting up the party, PC and character death, and is there any others that was specifically contributing to this? Really, all of them kind of hit on it. Pretty much the whole month of June was all prep for this. Yeah, so so we've been kind of building up to, to how to run a horror game, which is really, I feel, a very difficult genre to pull off because you want your players to be so invested that they can be... Uh, at least concerned for their character's life. They want to be connected. They want to be scared on some level, which can be really difficult to pull off. Yeah, I think the the biggest trick for trying to pull off horror is you're trying to pull off two different vibes at the same time, so to speak. At least in my opinion. Like, you're trying to get a as deep an immersion as you can to get these people, you know, it's like living through their character, seeing through their character. And you really want them to be, like, not necessarily scared at all times, but you want them to feel vulnerable so they are susceptible to being scared. Right. So I think that's, like, the big trick is, like, you're going to be pulling... In order to really, truly successfully pull off a good horror game, you're going to be pulling every trick that you have in, in your book for, you know, in immersion. And then trying to, you know, to add some of these other tricks that we've talked about for, you know, making them feel vulnerable. You know, again, like we mentioned in Splitting the Party... Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in, in different variations of, you know, just how to make the, the you know, the, the PCs feel weak, so to speak, or at least, you know, fragile and vulnerable without actually, you know, making them weak, but just making them, you know, know that they're, they could die at any moment. I feel like I didn't mention that PC, that the PC death episode is also one that was, that we had to do before this. Uh, I can't remember if I said it or not. I think but, you did, but yeah, either yeah. way, it's definitely an important. Uh, we'll figure it out in editing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the the getting that sense of vulnerability um, and getting people to feel the emotions with horrors yeah. is is hard. It is. Uh, one thing I would suggest is pick your system. Uh, there are some systems out there designed specifically for horror games. Probably one of the most well known is the. Uh, Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Uh, That one is designed for you to have uh, characters called investigators uh, who have, you know, are going to have good skills, but not necessarily be, you know, big powerhouses. Like, you can get 
after so many levels in D&D or in, say, some systems like uh, the Heroes Unlimited system for Palladium where you just can be a massive tank. Um, most good horror systems are going to give you, you know, some sort of kind of hit points that seem like they're okay at first, but then when you encounter your first monster, you realize, man, I got nothing. Um, I do know the Deadlands system is designed, depending on how the uh, Marshal, which is that game's term for the Game Master, plays it, it can go heavier towards the horror or heavier mm-hmm. towards the action. Um, uh, White Wolf, if you use some of the Hunter's rules and have everyone make uh, mortals, absolutely. then that can certainly work for that as well. Since, you know, not only vampires, but werewolves and anything else are very deadly compared to the, to them. The GURPS system, I mean... It, Generic universal role-playing system. You can plug just about anything in, but right. it really does not only have a, f- a lot of flexibility and customization, but you can also make it so that characters are very, very vulnerable. Yeah. You know, that same situation where you're like, oh, this this is a good amount of health, right? Until, you know, you get punched in the face and like, oh, I'm at half health? Yeah, and GURPS is actually sort of designed that way anyway, because you're right, There's you don't get a lot of uh, wounds, I believe it is, that you can take before you... Uh, I don't remember the terminology. I'm, it's been years since it's I played. Years. Wounds or hit points or something. Yeah. Also, in with White Wolf, there's like the, um, the World of Darkness book that has rules on just making mortals. You know, right. You know, stuff like that. So, right. That's definitely another way. You know, if you're a mortal in the World of Darkness, then you already should feel very vulnerable because you are very vulnerable. Um, some good resources, though, you know, no matter what system you're going to run, even if it's D&D, which is probably one of the harder ones, honestly, because you are just a beefcake of a, you know, a hero, or Exalted would probably be dang near impossible, because you're literally demigods. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, Billis, you are literally gods. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good references, like Ed mentioned, was Call of Cthulhu. Even if you don't run the Call of Cthulhu game, there's some good resources in that book yeah. for how to run it. Another good resource is the... I believe it's the Sword and Sorcery for, I think it's the 3.5 version of the Ravenloft system. There's a Ravenloft Dungeon right. Master Guide or, or Game Master Guide right. that has a lot of good tips for running like a Ravenloft slash horror game. Right. And it talks a lot about like, you know, different immersion techniques, which we've talked about on our episodes, you know, of, you know, for immersion, but I'm sure there's some stuff in there that we've missed, but again, it's got some, just some really yeah. good ideas. Going on a bit of a side note, Ravenloft, um, I feel like it really hit its peak in, with second edition D and D, but right. it was an excellent example of a horror setting. Mm-hmm. Um, they did do some stuff with it in third edition. They kind of skipped it, I think, for fourth, and they're now trying to bring it back with fifth. I was going to say fifth is bringing it's Curse it back. of Strahd, which yeah. is the most recent one. Yeah, but uh, not just that. Out. But they're bringing the Hunter's Compendiums back in fifth edition too, so, which was a big thing in second edition that I was a huge fan of. But I know they. From what I've heard, I haven't had a chance to check out the books themselves, but they do talk about the the mood setting a bit more heavily than some of the previous supplements have had. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Ravenloft is just kind of like an iconic mm-hmm. role-playing horror. Yeah, but basically you want to you pick a system somewhat designed for it. If it's not designed for it, make sure that your your dudes aren't overly powerful based on the monsters or like killers or whatever the horror Whatever is coming after them, because if it's if it's horror, they're terrified of something. Whatever's coming after them has to be able to affect them. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would suggest is not just damage, like damage is good, but not just damage, also effect. So like, you know, maybe D&D, maybe, uh, you know, okay, well, you're, you're third level, it hits you for five hit points, no big deal, but you're also slowed. 
So now this thing that you have to run away from, you can't run away from as fast, you know? Yeah, or paralyzed or, or something. Or paralyzed. You had some sort of effect onto and it. If you have a group of advanced players, mm-hmm. mental effects. Definitely. Um, some of those games that have brought into play, and like, you are now paranoid. You don't trust Ed's character anymore. You think he's trying to kill you. If you can get a group that can play along with that, it's mm-hmm. gonna it's gonna bump that that fun factor up. It's gonna bump that immersion and just like to 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 have people who are like understand that my character is going insane and I'm gonna play that without playing the funny ha ha comical in, Hollywood insane. And that's another point we might be able to hit on a little later is players. You are you're gonna need players who want to be in a horror game. They want to immerse themselves into it. They want to play it. You know, I mean, if you know that you have some players in your group who aren't really gonna you know have a lot of fun in it, but there's only like one or two, but they're willing to play along. That's fine. But you know, if your entire group is made up of people who don't really want to do it, then just find a different group to, to run a horror game for. And going back to player types, I think uh, the biggest difficulty you would have is running for a group of optimizers. Yeah. yeah. If you, if you've got the optimizers, heavy group horror is not going to work. If you have yeah. actors and storytellers, yeah. then you should be able to have an awesome game. Yeah, in, in general, your optimizers, they want the bigger numbers, they want the best things, and you're not going to have those things at all in a horror game. They want to win, and a horror game can very much be how slowly can you lose. Right. Yeah, at least the combat optimizers. I mean, there's other versions of optimizers that we talked about that you could get away with. Like, they're you know optimized for social interactions, and sure, that's good. You know, right. We can definitely work with that. But yeah, like you yeah. were saying, optimal. You know, there's there's definitely ideal player types that you're looking for. You know, definitely storytellers are a huge one. Uh, actors are definitely another big one. And the, like you also said, Ed was the you know make sure that you have the right group. I think that's extremely important. You know, let your group. Don't even say, "Hey, we're going to do a horror game." Like, "Hey, guys, I'm thinking about doing a horror game. What are your thoughts on this?" Right. You know, are you down with it? Because it, it requires a lot of player cooperation in order to maintain, you know, to, again, because you're fighting so hard for immersion, you need to have players help you with that. You know, players that are going to be able to help keep the table in character as long as possible, help not make jokes at the table. I mean, there's lots of games where that's perfectly fine, but if you really want to get that that immersion going on and get that horror vibe, you know, you got to dim the lights, you got to put on the creepy music, you know, a couple yep. candles in the room kind of thing, you know, and just really let your players just sit back and let you set the mood. And then when it's their turn to be up at bat, to just stay in character, be patient with you while you're really going out of your way to set this mood. Right. And also, you know, maybe even it's up to you. Depends on your group. There's a lot of different ways to approach it, but I think a good way to, you know, for horror, cause it happens in movies too. If you look at it, like just set an example right off the bat and kill somebody. Kill, yeah. kill a PC. Set an example out of somebody. You know, you can prearrange it. Like, I've done this with Jerry in the past. Like, hey, can I kill one of your dudes right off the bat? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, you know, I got to set an example somewhere. You know, I need to kill somebody. And it's up to you whether or not you want to prearrange it with a PC so they're less frustrated about it. And they can already, you know, make a sacrificial lamb, so to speak. Actually, in specific reference to that, I do remember... Um, I. There was one game where I believe Jared had everybody but one person that he, because he, he was setting up to run a horror, and he said, hey, do you mind if I need to kill a character in the first session if I kill off your character right off the bat? Just like between us. 
And oh yeah, yeah, sure, okay. And apparently, like I said, he went to every player but one that was going to be at the table in private. Like, hey, do you mind if I kill your character right off the bat, the first one you make? Like, yeah, sure, go for it. So everybody was expecting their character to die right away. Mm. Yeah, but I didn't actually kill anyone in the first session. Second session. Second session, Jerry's character died. <laughs> <laughs> but originally I had planned on killing someone right during the very first combat, but it's just it didn't work out that way, and especially since we were trying out D20 Pro, I didn't want to really want to go out of my way to fudge my numbers because it would have been too obvious. And But, you know, but moving on, you know, talk with a player, prearrange something. If you think it's okay, if you know your players well enough and you think you can get away with killing off one or two PCs in the first couple sessions without, you know, having to prearrange it, then that you can get more shock and awe out of it. But, you know... Just again, just make sure that you can you set that tone. Make sure that they know that they're vulnerable, and you will kill a player. You right. know, and don't I, don't hesitate to do so. I'm sorry to cut you off there, but don't hesitate to do so. You, yeah, you, you let it happen. Let the dice let fall where they may. You know, force it. You know, once in a while, if you have to, just to maintain the mood. Part yeah. of, part of playing in a horror game is knowing my character's probably going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, I had another game that I was in where as players. Like, we knew that it was supposed to be horror because it was Call of Cthulhu, but really at the first sign of Supernatural, we were like, well, realistically, our characters are now going to just get out of town because we're, like, we're trying to play real people and like, oh, everything's going crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Uh, and as players, we kind of crashed and wrecked the game. So you need to have your players who are in like, yeah, things are going to go weird, but my character isn't going to bug out the first time that the walls start dripping blood or something like that. Yeah, and that kind of comes to player responsibility, which we've talked about a little, little bit in the past. You know, And again, like in Call of Cthulhu, you're not playing a character, you're playing an investigator. Right. So in theory, you should be playing someone that's willing to go against the grain a little bit. But, you know, you know, that's every group is, you know, their own group. You know, and think of some other horror cliches, like the protagonist is in town, in this creepy town, talking to these people because they're looking for a lost family member. So yeah, you come across this strange monster thing that almost kills you, but you haven't found your lost family member yet. So you can't really go anywhere. Right. You know, family member is also another good thing. Okay, yeah, you see this this bad monster, you want to get out of town. Maybe you should try to convince, you know, your brother that he has to get out of town too, but he doesn't believe what you're saying. You know, you know, those those sorts of things. There are certainly ways that you can hook either your own character into staying or as a GM, you can try to find ways to hook players into uh, staying for the uh, for the encounter if they start thinking of the, along the lines of we should probably just leave. But depending on your system, you know that might be a good thing. Like if you're playing D and D, how often do your players run away? Yeah, you know, like I'm all for like if I'm doing a horror game in D and D and they say uh, run, I'm gonna be in my head. I'm gonna be like, yeah, I made them run. Yeah, yeah. made them run. <laughs> but, and that's the other thing in horror games. Go ahead and run. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often has the uh, uh, athletic-looking protagonist run away from Jason Voorhees, who's yeah. just stalking behind them, and all, all of a sudden he's in front of him with a machete? Yeah, exactly. And feel free to do that kind of stuff in your horror games. Like, they need to learn to expect the unexpected, and you need to make them, you know, make the unexpected happen. A large number of villains should have what's referred to as off-screen teleportation. Mm. Anytime they're not in full view, they could be anywhere. And always know where you are. They don't need to make a perception check. They always just know. They have life sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they are the... Especially in a, if you're, it's a slasher-style thing, or, or really at all. They, they know exactly where you are. They are the uh, 
uh, unstoppable killing machine coming after you. Yeah. But they also personally think it's hilarious to kind of look at the closet you're hiding at in and then kind of walk past it like they pretend you don't know you're there. So you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief and then boom, throw up the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they like freaking with you. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're there for emotional and psychological yeah. torture as well as physical torture. But there's a lot of different ways to approach horror. You know, there's, you know, I think there's kind of how I see it. Like, I split it down the middle. I see, like, the big horror that you know about. Right. You know that Jason exists. You know that Jason is after you. Or there's the unseen off-camera kind of horror, like, the children keep disappearing. Right. right. And we don't know what's going on. And, you know, the, you know, you know, or not even necessarily children, but, like, people just keep disappearing. And you could be next, and we don't know what it is. It's just some off-camera mysterious entity. and part of, you know, then it becomes kind of like a detective horror kind of genre, maybe, you know, trying to figure out what it is, but sometimes not seeing the monster can be scarier than seeing it, especially like in yeah. a game like D&D, where like, oh, if it has stats, we can kill it. Right. You know, oh, hey, it's a, oh, it's a pit fiend? Well, those things are scary, but that's cool. We're all 10th level. We can probably take it. Well... That's why it's also important, you know, the whole, if it has stats, we can kill it. Um if you're doing a, a singular threat, like a Jason Voorhees stalker or whatever, his stats only come into play in the final climax. Right. Up until then, he is functionally immortal. Uh, don't necessarily make him godly, but you can, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, unload my gun into him and he falls down. Okay. Everybody's okay. Okay. And now he, wait, the body's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and he just shows up next scene when he's supposed to. Yeah. Or another thing, which they actually mentioned, I remember this specifically from the Ravenloft uh, Game Master's Guide or campaign setting, or whatever, whatever it is that has all these tips. There's the I can't remember what they. I think they refer to it as like the Golden Gun. But basically, like you have yeah. to have a specific weapon yeah. to kill the enemy. You yes. can't. You know, if you do not have X weapon, you cannot kill Y creature. Period. Exactly. So then you have the you know the horror slash okay we got to go out and find this special weapon in order to be able to kill this guy otherwise we know for a fact he's immortal we cannot stop him you know the like o- the whole like you have to drown Jason kind of concept the oaken stake yeah. the silver bullet the wood chipper the wood chipper indeed the boom gun the boom gun yeah you know, the boom or stick. boom stick rather yeah, the boom stick. So, you know, you say, okay, well, I have a mystical, horrific monster. It's based on a pit fiend, and it can only be killed by the Golden Blade of Excalibur or something like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't have Excalibur, so I guess fighting it is a bad thing. Until then, we should just run and try not to die. Yeah, that would probably be the best thing to do. You know, let's uh, let's see if we can find you Excalibur. And another trick, too, to avoid the stat, if it has stats we can kill it, is don't call... A spade a spade, don't call a pet fiend a pet fiend. Call it by a name. Give it a name. It doesn't matter what its stats are. It can be a terrorist, it can be a pit fiend, it can be a night hag, but don't call it a night hag. You know, don't yeah, don't call it don't call it by its creature type. Give it a very specific name. It's you know, Krishna of the 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 Everglades of the Nile or you know, some ridiculous weird name, and then all of a sudden I don't I've never heard of that. Uh well, it kind of looks like, a, you know, okay, and then you, you know, give a physical description, but don't say, hey, it looks like a pit fiend. Right. You see this giant, you know, um, hooved foot winged demon with giant horns and flame coming out of its eyes. And yeah. okay, this thing sounds really scary. Uh, yeah, you definitely want to focus on description uh, for a number of reasons. Certainly describing the monsters instead of just saying the, the monster type, you know, if there's a monster. Or maybe it's more of a uh, saw kind of horror game where you have to get through some 
terrible traps. So you really have to make sure that you write down the description of these traps so you can give every, you know, you know, every rusted nail, every broken shard of glass, every, you know, piece of razor wire that they have to pass through to try to get to the end of the little tunnel they have to crawl through, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that you have that description down so that they can immerse themselves in the terror that their character is going through. Yeah. Uh, also, maybe sometime, maybe your character ends up in the dark. I actually played in a horror game a long time ago where our characters, it was actually a Cthulhu game, and our characters were uh, in the dark. So I found the wall, I'm, I'm moving my hands across it, try to get to the door, pretty sure where it was, but then all of a sudden I start feeling this like strange, like multiple bulbous sort of thing and you know, they felt like 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 big grapes, peeled grapes or something like that. And, you know, in the dark, I'm sitting sitting there getting this kind of like, what am I touching sort of deal? And the lights come on. There's this monster that has this, this huge bulbous monster with all these eyes. And I'm sitting there touching it. And it was kind of <laughs> a disgusting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Descriptions are really important. Um, and that actually leads into something that I think I had meant to do actually as an episode before this is cutscenes. Oh, I think right. we actually missed that, but oh, so let me just kind of go over cutscenes and how I think that's a huge addition. Yeah, we'll probably touch on that on a later episode. Yeah, we'll probably have a whole episode dedicated to this. But cutscenes is basically like you giving a narrative of something that's happening off camera. Is you know that's typically you can do a cutscene of what's happening on camera. But that feels more like it's just a description. Um, but taking advantage of cutscenes and telling the players, not the characters, but the players of something that's happening off scene, you know, off camera somewhere else, you can use that to add a lot of intensity, a lot of uh, like fright. You can take advantage of that to, to give a lot of different emotion. Uh, I've used it to let them know that, you know, time is running out. Uh, in a previous game, there were zombies that were basically, uh, there's a whole horde of zombies heading towards this town and they're in town. And they don't know. So they're dealing with like this murder mystery in town, but then they get this cutscene about how like there's this herd of zombies that's heading towards the town, and they're like, oh crap. We knew that there was a herd of zombies in the area. We were supposed to go deal with them, but we got preoccupied with this like murder mystery that's going on in town. Right. Now we haven't stopped the horde of zombies that's apparently heading straight for town. We were kind of hoping it would dodge the town. Another thing, again, for that same murder mystery was the idea that the mayor's youngest daughter got kidnapped. So, I mean, yes, the murder, you know, you know that a murderer has kidnapped the, this, this eight year old girl, but how do you add more intensity to that? Give them a little cutscene. They got to see this little, um, sad little girl tied up to a chair and some dark figure that's off, you know, kind of off camera, kind of in the shadows, taking a knife to her, you know, to her skin <laughs> and rubbing it against her cheek and like taunting her. Like, I'm going to kill you if your daddy doesn't come, you know, do what I say. That kind of deal, you know, seeing that off camera can add a lot of intensity and that's for the players. So, so it kind of really helps add the intensity to the player, which then feeds into the character because the characters are probably in theory should already be ramped up or freaking out. But if the players aren't feeling it, then they're not going to truly come across in their, their role playing. Right. They're not going to really feel that true intensity. So cutscenes, in my opinion, are really for the players to help get that, that true vibe, that true emotion into the character and really know like what kind of real dire straits they're really in. So again, cutscenes are a huge thing. Um, there's a lot of different ways to approach them. You can, you know, have it be, um, telling them about characters that they already know about, you know, but like filling in gaps, it could be, 
Um, and some, sometimes the cutscene could just be an extended thing that they witness, and the characters are there, mm-hmm. but like you're on the fifth floor and you see this going on on the street below right and like you could rush down and try to do something about it or you can stand there and watch either way you can't impact it directly right yeah a good way to get a, a vibe of how to take advantage of, of cutscenes is like watch a horror movie or any movie in general really but look and see and make notes of these scenes that are happening away from the actual right. main characters it's certainly kind of what you, you you touch on there that's actually a really good tip in general you know know your genre mm-hmm. you know if you're preparing for a horror game you know read a horror novel or watch some horror films you know watch some i know that there are shows dedicated to horror as well watch yep. these things mm-hmm. you know get an idea of what you want to do you know make sure that you are studying up essentially you know as storytellers as gms game masters dungeon mm-hmm. masters it is your job to know the story that you are trying to tell uh and to do so accurately, you'll want to study up a bit on your, uh, uh, well, on your resources, which are movies and comic books and mm-hmm. video games and all kinds of things. Yeah, you you can't run it if you don't know it. Yeah, reading a horror book is really good for like kind of taking advantage of some of like the glossary of like you know like some some of those kind of sickly words and descriptors that you could use that you might not normally have in your standard uh, you know glossary of of descript you know descriptive terminology. I pretty much talked to myself in a circle on that one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it might not be in your standard vocabulary is what I was going to get at. Um, and then watching movies, again, that gives you a really good idea for how they, you know, set, you know, scenes and, and those off-screen off, scene, uh, off cut scenes. So seeing the monster, you know, looking down at the house that the heroes are in. The heroes don't know that the monster is right outside. Right. But now the players can get a vibe of, oh, crap, the monster's right outside. But my characters don't know that. But I, oh, 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 crap, is he going to attack? Okay, well, we get through the night uneventful, but I would now that we know that the monster knows that we're here as players we know, that's going to add this little bit of a freak-out factor, you know, to the game. I think also, because you're talking about doing the research, going and looking into that, tying back with the players, I think you should also research into your players. Mm -hmm. Um, We were discussing this earlier, where if you find out, like, a player has a fear of spiders, like, if the player fears spiders, then throwing in a spider-like monster is going to have a unique visceral reaction for that player. Um, You know, they can definitely separate that. This isn't happening in real life. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just a game. But at the same time, there's like, I don't like dealing with that. And this is what's going on right now. Some can. Some can. I think for Contagion, I handed out like a three or four page questionnaire. I mean, some of it was for background, but some of it was like, what's your most hated animal? What don't you like? You know, what makes what unnerves you the most in, you know, in the real world? You know, just just generic questionnaire stuff. So I knew how to throw things in, in the right spots to get a specific reaction from specific people. And I know for myself, I can list off a few things that creep me out in a game Mm -hmm. or, or at least imagining it happening to the point where I'm not even going to keep going on that road anymore because (laughs) I'm not giving you any more fuel. (laughs) I could never have enough. Yeah. I think a quick recap is, you know, set an example, you know, kill a player early or a character early, not a player. Don't actually kill a player. <laughs> that's real life horror. <laughs> that's bad. That's that's, that's beyond prison, LARPing. <laughs> that's prison bad. Yeah. Um, Saw the RPG. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, kill a character early, set an example, feel free, you know, let the dice 
go, you know, lay as they may throughout the game. So, like, don't hold back, kill characters. I'm not saying you should be killing whatever you have, you know, session. Hopefully, you're not doing total party wipes often. But, you know, if your total party wipe happens, I suppose, you know, go with it. No, we've had that kind of discussion in the past. But just, you know, let players die. How do you, how do you guys feel die. about having players start by making multiple characters? I know you did that for Contagion, yep. and it's been brought up. Just because that way, if your character dies, you're not having a huge amount of downtime to bring in another character, to have somebody else come in to join the group, you know, whether another car breaks down or somebody else shows yeah. up for a different reason. I think a horror game is definitely a good uh, a good style of game to have backup characters pre-generated, either by the players or even by the GM, you know, just to have something to throw in there. Uh, also, you might want to use more hardcore rules for some of the uh, tougher systems out there, like uh, like D and D, where maybe all new characters come in at level one. So don't throw your don't throw your level four character away. You know, oh, I'll stand and fight it because it has hit points. I must be able to kill it. Well, okay, but if you die, your you know your character's coming at level one, whether you're you know level four or level fourteen. Yeah, what I did with Contagion when it came to that was I used the average of the party because we were going through so many characters. And believe it or not, it actually slowed down the progression quite a bit because a lot of people were dying. So the averages stayed low, even though we had one, I think... uh, At one point, I think we had someone who was like a fourth or fifth level character who died. And we're like, okay, put the party average party level together. And it's like, oh, it's it's three. Yeah. So because they were like higher and above everybody else... And they're like, oh, no, peel it back. You know, you now, you were the most powerful person, and now you're several levels back from what you just were. Yeah, in fact, losing that character lowered the average, I think, you know, in general. So that was one way to do it. And I definitely agree, you know, with Ed, you know, and again, I have done it in the past with horror games. I think it's a perfect time to have them pre-generate at least two or three characters. Three is what I did. And I think that also lends a sense of vulnerability into the player's mentality right off the bat, because, like, I have... He made me make three characters. Um, the, the so yeah. uh, so these are gonna die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when we actually did it, you had it. All three characters are connected somehow, or at least the first is connected to the second, and the second is connected to the third. Yeah. yeah. So if something happens to the first one, and something will happen to the first one, for all but like one of the players in that game, the second one has a reason to already kind of be connected to the story and come in. Yeah, that way we weren't fighting with a reason to make the character come in and and make it make sense. Like, it was just, there was a pre-established connection there, so we could just basically throw the character in. Okay, the first character was the oldest brother of three siblings. The second character is the second, you know, of three siblings. The third is the third of three siblings. So, my oldest brother died. I need to find, I need to go avenge his death. Okay, the second one died. I need to go avenge my other two brothers' deaths. Right. You know, that kind of thing. You know, it wasn't always necessarily siblings, but there was connections. I think Brandon did three siblings. Yes, and I think Brandon was also the one where he had the highest level, high-level character who died and had to step back a few levels. Right, yeah. Because Vagar was there right from the beginning. The one the one obstacle you could come, uh, or that could come out from that would be, uh, you know, like characters as cannon fodder. You know, some people might not care. Um, but I certainly think that's a good idea to, to use that. You want to have that in there. You know, if you get the, the, the character who's, you know, just throwing his character's life away because he's just going to roll another one in the next session, then, well, you know, maybe that's one of the people that wasn't really into it in the first place. Yeah, but, I was going to say, I don't usually have that problem. Most people don't want their characters to die, you know, at least right, in my games, you know. Right. Um, 
But what I mean is, when you make three characters, because you know that your characters are going to die, yeah. you, you might get the occasional, and this is very unlikely, but you might get the occasional characters, like, whatever. You know, I'll throw the, I'll throw this one in front of the bus for the rest of the group, and I'll just bring my next one in because whatever. I don't think we ever ran into that. We did have a case where one of the players said, "Well, my character feels like this should be, you know, I should be going and doing something else." Mm-hmm. So they went off to do their own thing and brought in, and the player brought in the second character because the second character made more sense at that time. Yeah, which is okay. another nice thing. You know, it's one of those like that particular situation made me almost want to have everyone make three characters all the time because it was it really was where like this character doesn't make sense right now. If it's okay with you, can I switch them out and bring in this other character that would make perfect sense to have right now? Sure, okay. This person wanders because like, it's literally a druid. This person wanders off into the woods. Okay, this character comes back. Okay, you know, or this character comes in that makes much more sense. All right, cool, great, perfect. Fine, you know, and then we ended up having that other character come back later on. Also, actually, it was barbarian, not a druid. But you know, then that other barbarian, you know, came back later on, almost as an NPC. But still, you know, it just it was one of those nice being able to just instantly switch them out and already knowing about the characters. It wasn't like, hey, I just rolled this up, and I really feel like playing this guy that I just rolled up. It was, hey, right. this, this, it, this doesn't make sense right now. I'm not feeling it. It's not working. Can we switch them out? Sure, cool, great, awesome. Yeah, we can do that. Um. I had something I was going to say, and then I forgot. Well, on that note, uh, we were talking about resources earlier, and I had actually remembered that uh, uh, another resource, probably a really good one, if you don't know about it, I believe it's called tvtropes.com or maybe tropes.com. tvtropes.com. You certainly go go check that out. If if you're a writer or GM of any sort, go check that out. It's going to have a huge list of tropes. If you don't know, a trope is uh, is it's a tool or trick used to kind of convey a a specific uh, I don't know I guess emotion or idea or it's to convey information yeah. in fiction. Um, I will give the warning if you're not yeah. going to. If you are going to check out TV tropes, make sure you don't have anything else going on because it's very very easy to get sucked in and oh yeah and and just go. Deep in there and start looking at, oh, what shows up in my favorite TV show and what does that mean? And, and next thing you know, you've got 50 tabs yeah. open on your browser. But certainly they'll have, they'll have horror and, and mystery tropes that are in there. And you might be able to look through some and read the descriptions and say, hey, that's something I might be able to use. Uh, in, other, in some ways, the tropes being pointed out kind of started as a thing like, oh, look what these guys always use. But at some point, you got to realize there's a reason these things are always used. They're very effective. Right. Uh, so not only is it a good way to kind of pick apart maybe your, your favorite stuff, but also it's a good tool to be able to say, well, this is a horror trope. Maybe I'll use this. It might fit my setting. So, yeah, a, a trope is almost like, you know, the the old standby. You yep. know what I mean? Like, OK, the, like the idea in a horror movie where, like, if you say I'll be right back, then you're going to die. You know, the, so there's. There's a lot of different, very interesting, and it's one of those, sometimes it's good to know just to avoid it, sometimes it's good to know, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They right. actually have a page on TV tropes called Tropes Are Tools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, t- like, how to use them, and how to get the mileage out of them that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is certainly a term that, you know, a show or something might be very tropey, and in that case, they use a lot of them all the time. But, again, like, like Jerry said, tropes are tools. Tropes are not bad. They're not bad. Yeah, it's all how you use the tool. So, yep. So yeah, there's a few things that I seem to have uh, left my brain. So <laughs> I say we're good. All right. Well, actually, to close it out, I actually there's a 
piece from uh, a game called Alan Wake. It's one of my personal favorite video games of all time. And one of the quotes at the opening that I wanted to make sure that I shared during this show uh, is actually, it's actually quoting a Stephen King quote. Uh, Stephen King once wrote that nightmares exist out of logic and there's little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical to the poetry of fear. In a horror story, the victim keeps asking why, but there can be no explanation and there shouldn't be one. The unanswered mystery is what stays with us the longest and what's what, and it's what we'll remember in the end. So with that in mind, give it a shot for your horror games. Let us know how it goes. Right off the top of your head, No, I had to look it up. <laughs> but give it a shot. Run a horror game sometime. Have some fun with it. Let us know how it goes. Contact us on Twitter, GMS Studios. You can find us uh, on our message board, GameMasterStudios.ProBoards.com. You can write to us on Facebook, like, comment, subscribe. We are here with new episodes every Tuesday. So come on back next time we're in the studio.